0: Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week, we're Review 2 The Joshua Tree.
1: It's the flagship album. Bono is very clearly drunk. What can you say about this song?
0: Lawsuit. I love you, <laughs> I hate you.
1: I'm the Adam Apologist.
0: What does America as an Idea mean?
1: From innocence to experience, join us as we go down to One Tree Hill and review to U2's 5th, count them, that's 5th, album, The Joshua Tree. So let's get right into this. Where have you 2 been since we last caught up with them with The Unforgettable Fire? Well, in November of 1984, Bono uh, pops into a little studio in London to sing Well Tonight Thank God It's Them Instead Of You on a certain Christmas charity single. In February of 1985 a man pulls a gun on Bono but is quickly overpowered by security. In May of the same year they release the unforgettable fire single. In June U2 headline over REM. July U2 leave an impression on Wembley Stadium and arguably Live Aid leaves an even deeper mark on them. In November of 1985, they go back to the studio in May. Once again, they return to the studio. This is May 1986. October, Edge releases his studio album, his solo album. Captive. Captive, yes. And then there seems to be a bit of a gap in uh, U2's diary because the next entry we have is the release of The Joshua Tree in March. Not October. In March... 1987.
0: So the theory has holes in it. What a surprise. Not everything significant happens in October.
1: I think the most important albums come out in October. Fair enough. Which, if you've listened to the
0: podcast, is a complete lie. Yeah. So, Johnny, Joshua Tree, what are your initial thoughts? I think it's really interesting that the seeds that were planted in some of the songs on the Unforgettable Fire really blossom here. The lads have arrived in America There were obviously little hints so far, Elvis Presley in America, that kind of thing, uh, Indian Summer Sky. But this is the opus about America. And it's not just about specific American people or specific American events, although they they are evoked and they are covered on the album. But Bill Flanagan said this album was as much about the idea of America, the myth of America. And I think it's the album art here really conveys that. All the pictures that Anton Corbin, Anton Corbine, I'm not sure, his pho- photography really conveys that idea of the mythic status of America. I mean, it's difficult to look at those pictures and not think of, you know, kind of prospecting days rather than, ni- you know, mid-1980s, greed, glamour, shoulder pads, late 1980s even, you know. Yeah,
1: I do get that. Um, and that was something that after we recorded the, um, the podcast for unforgettable fire it was a very american dreamy kind of vision that they had about america at that point i think now to contrast it before we've not reviewed this this album yet but to contrast that idea of that album in unforgettable fire with it's also as, as if they've seen the real america and they you know they still love it they found like that dirty old country heart of it mm. um like the Johnny Cash songs and the Bob Dylan songs and all those, you know, those you know, great country songs. They're not necessarily singing about how great America is, but uh, they they are singing about the struggle in America as as American musicians. But there's still a, a certain patriotism to that, and it's not all out and out. Uh, we love America. Let's fly the flag.
0: Well, if you love something, you should criticize it properly, which is what we're doing, by the way.
1: Yeah, but I th- I feel like that's what Bono particularly was trying to do with Unforgettable Fire. He was basically flying the flag of this fantastic new land they they experienced to it. You know, they'd seen it, but they hadn't experienced it. It's a, probably the best way to put that.
0: So you think this is a deeper, more reflective take on America here from I, I Bono s- and you two?
1: Yeah, I think they would have spent you know a decent amount of time there by now. So, yeah, I I think it's it's m- more trying to expose the lovable but sometimes decaying heart of America. It's not just about the ideology of the American dream, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Well, I think it's looking at the, the points where that ideology becomes something that isn't all noble and triumphant. Actually, you can see that it's rotten in certain places, and that's where... And the fact that it is supported by American, you know, misadventures in other countries, that kind of thing,
1: and that you can you can still love it. You, 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 there's no reason why you have to hate something because it isn't perfect. You can love what it tries to be.
0: Well, that's the ambiguity of the album. That's where this is, this is such an interesting piece of music because it's so obviously inspired musically, lyrically. Um, its soul, if we're going to use such terms, does feel distinctly you know, both Irish and American at the same time. I found that, well, I think the difficulty going to be with this album is that so much has been said about the Joshua Tree. It is arguably the most quintessential U2 album.
1: It's the flagship album, yeah. Yeah,
0: like, without if, a
1: doubt. If you say to anybody, like, there are people out there who don't know who U2 are but know the songs on this album. Yeah. So, in a way, the weight of this album is quite heavy.
0: And there's been plenty of documentation about this album. There's been plenty of stories told, columns written. There's a documentary, you know, the Classic Albums documentary that's very accessible. So I think the only way we can really do this is to make it personal to us and try and talk about our experiences with this album. Obviously, we'll try and give context to the songs as we as we do. But, you know, we're fans and we really want to see what other people think as well, as well as sharing our ideas. Absolutely. So... Where were you when you first heard The Joshua Tree, Tyler?
1: Uh, this is one I don't remember buying. I remember buying the vinyl, but I know I had the CD before that. I I don't know. I, I certainly bought the two best ofs first and then War, Unforgettable Fire wasn't far behind. So I can't imagine that I waited that long um, to get this album because I, I love Streets. Streets was one of the, the hooks that... That really
0: got me into it. Well, what I was going to say is, if you've got that first best of, you've heard a good chunk of um, of Joshua Tree. I mean, basically the first the first half of it. Definitely yeah, the first. Four but
1: songs. there was still a lot more to gain from that album. Oh, certainly. Um, but I don't know exactly uh, in which order. I may have had a couple of the '90s ones before I got to this.
0: It's difficult as well because a lot of the songs on the Joshua Tree, we probably heard subconsciously before we even properly got into you two so they seem like songs that are so timeless they've been around for a long time and i mean for me it was the second album i listened to properly a friend of mine lent it to me while we were in year eight i think and i can recall sitting in the classroom at dinner time in the form room on my own with my little sony walkman cd player and just listening to this and thinking this is so big and so, I'm going to use the word timeless again, so expansive. And it just sounded so much more interesting and rich than the kind of skater rock, new metal, that kind of thing that I was listening to and every, all my contemporaries were listening to. So I don't want to appear like this pretentious, you know, kind of. You no, know,
1: I, I do think there's a point not to say that that's bad music. And there are, there are probably people who will sit there and quite rightly argue the point for that kind of music. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. I think for us, um, we didn't care enough about that music or or we didn't find enough substance in it. Yeah. Whereas we've um, just had the opportunity to go back and research and re-listen and really pay attention. And I, for one, have certainly found a lot of things that I didn't realise were there or maybe I had heard, I just hadn't paid attention to them. Yeah. So I think that is the beauty of this album, that it has so many layers. I've been listening to this for close to 15
0: years, as I'm sure you have, Mm. probably a little bit longer. To the point where it was almost odd to put it on for the review. It felt like some sort of an an occasion. It's
1: like reviewing your own jacket, isn't it?
0: Yeah, after you've you've really worn it in for a long time. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So I was
1: glad to listen to the album. Of course, I had the the opportunity I own it, but to specifically to review it and to talk about the little things you hadn't seen before. Mm. I just it was it was a good exercise for me.
0: okay, so without further ado, let's head to where the streets have no name.
1: Track one: Joshua Tree, where the streets have no name. Johnny,
0: what do you think? For the first time, and I think this is purely because of the format of you know reviewing the album, for the first time I noticed that the Jostry begins with I Wanna Run, which could almost be the name of a Ramones track.
1: Or a Brian Adams track.
0: Really? Is there a similar one by Brian Adams?
1: Uh, he's always doing stuff like that, waking up the neighbours and others.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was interesting that I'm sure it's subconscious but it's interesting that the Ramones are still having some kind of influence on on U2 here. Researching this song a little bit I found uh, it's it's crazy that for such a satisfying song that such a staple of U2 best of's, you know, fan lists, live sets, this was such a difficult song to bring into creation. Similarly to Pride actually, apparently Pride was um, very very difficult to actually get going. Now Adam, looking back on this, said he's not particularly happy with the sound of it. I mean, he said, it sounds so thin, like someone is trying to play the bass with boxing gloves on, which I've I've never never felt, really. But apparently this was a difficult one to actually bring into creation, to get sorted. Well, if we can
1: jump ahead ten years, which isn't really what we do on this podcast, but Adam's bass line for this song at Portmart is one of the things that made me want to learn bass. Uh, the way the way he plays around with it um it's much much more than it is on the album not to say that on the album it isn't good because it's great all of the, you can't say any uh, particular band member is at fault anywhere in this song it's so epically charged so energetic mm. it's rock and roll at its absolute purest it's th- that kind of driving song you know you're 18 years old and you've just got a car and you want to head down a country lane and
0: um, max out the speed. and I think I want to head across a desert strip when I hear this. It does sound huge. It does sound like there is a clear horizon and dust is rising and you're just streaming across it. It's so atmospheric. It's like the start of a film. Mm. It, it really has that power. It has that similar quality that I mentioned on the last episode when we were talking about The Unforgettable Fire. It seems like it's only just begun and you get into it and then Oh it's finishing and it and it's and it's all and it's all you know winding down and you think where did that 3 or 4 minutes go it just speeds by it's that good yeah i always thought that this
1: song was about bono and ali's trip to uh ethiopia after live aid you can't deny the effect that live aid had on the band um and i particularly thought that this was about the uh shanty towns and the, you know the makeshift living accommodation that people lived in Hmm. that's what i thought this song was about but on researching bono isn't sure if this is about belfast northern ireland or ethiopia he seems to be comparing and contrasting the two apparently at this time in belfast your religion and your income were evident by the street that you lived in certain classes lived on certain streets yeah um and Bono in this song is trying to express his desire or explore the possibilities of you know where streets don't have a name, where you're not judged by uh, your address, uh, you're not um, you're not judged to be a, 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 a trustworthy person or a criminal um, or high class.
0: He's, he just wants uh, an equality in a world without prejudice based on such arbitrary things. Yeah,
1: yeah, which. I don't know if I have got that because, but I've, then again I've always been thinking about one particular meaning for this song um, and I, it's interesting that Ireland well Northern Ireland is um, featuring in, in this album because I thought, like, and I, I think like you would have thought, this is mainly about America, this is an album about America and their experiences with America and I was quite happily surprised uh, to learn that they're still thinking relatively close to home. It's not just this big appeal to America and the you know, this promotion into America to just to buy the record.
0: Well it's it's the it's the outsider's perspective on that country, isn't it? That's the thing. I think America did embrace you two in so many ways. They were clearly grateful to it and to their audience there. But they could bring that outsider perspective on so many of those issues. And often you need an outsider to take a look at, you know, your culture, your country, your identity.
1: Isn't it crazy how level-headed they seem compared to, like, relatively the same age as as me and you now? And this is what they're writing about. It just seems so much more mature. They've always seemed so much older.
0: But I think that's why the non-specificity of the songs works so well. And that's going to come up. I mean, I know I probably harp on about this quite a lot, but this is what makes you two endure as a band because when they could go really really specific particularly when they're making a political point they decide to leave avenues of ambiguity of illusion things that can make the songs multiple things to many different people and that's what keeps it really really interesting for a song that sounds so effortless on record the recording process was so difficult apparently they had to try and re-record you know, first the drums, and then they try and re-record the bass, and then they try and re-record the guitar, and it's all—it's sort of like, you know, that idea of if you replace one board of a ship, and then you keep replacing replacing all the different boards, and then the mast and then the sail, has it become a completely different ship? You know, by the end of the day, and Brian Eno apparently asked one of the sound engineers to leave the room because he wanted to just get rid of it completely, as in wipe all the master tapes. We have to record this again, and apparently that sound engineer got in Eno's way or essentially told him, you can't do this, you can't get rid of this song. I mean, that possibly sort of harkens back to what we were talking about on the Unforgettable Fire where you... Someone
1: neat should be employed to (laughs) tell Eno to shut up sometimes. To watch him, to make sure... Brian, if you're listening, we'd
0: love to have you on the show. We both love Brian. Um, (laughs) That was put into context more last episode. Do check it out. But... I just thought it's so interesting that this is the kind of song, this kind of classic, that could so easily, with a well meaning, you know, kind of click of the button or a wipe of the tape from Eno, could have been lost forever. But luckily, it didn't happen. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm not massively into gospel and that seems to be the main influence on this song. It's an interesting song that I think a lot of non-U2 fanatics, you know, people who are kind of casual U2 fans, and there, there are a lot of them, they're a popular band, a, a lot that might make, I think, you know, their kind of favourites lists. But for me, it's fairly inessential, really. I loved it the first, you know, couple of years I listened to it. I think it absolutely deserves its place on the album. and I think it's a good song. But for me, it just doesn't it doesn't get me the way that most of the other stuff does on this album.
1: I think this is an example of U2's wider experimentation. It's not just an experimentation with electronic instruments, um, or you know, different effects. The veering off into different genres. This is something that Danny Lamois... Uh, tried to you know push uh, push them into it. he thought bono might you know enjoy and get a lot out of the experience because none of them were particularly well classically trained at their instruments and he just thought that it was a, a nice uh, grassroots avenue for bono to go down um it's not one of my favorite songs either but it's not a terrible song it's not something I would pop choose to put on edge originally hated this song. Because he thought that the bass line, which is pretty much all they had at the start, sounded too much like Eye of the Tiger by Survivor from the Rocky soundtrack.
0: Yeah, it is very funky.
1: Which sounds ridiculous, but when you actually think of that bass line, boom, 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 and you turn that up, you put a bit of distortion into it. It is very close to boom, 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 boom. Boom, of Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. That might be a very bad rendition of Eye of the Tiger. No, 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 I was getting uh, there, I was shadow boxing. But it's it's interesting that all songs come down to an instrument. And some, wise, wise words. Wise-wise words, yeah. But it's what you do with them and what each individual person in the production sees in the song. What what triggers um a song can set off in you. So a song like I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And Eye of the Tiger. Two starkly different things, but at the very heart, quite similar.
0: Quite inspirational, both of them, definitely.
1: Yeah, but I just I just find that interesting that Edge didn't like it because he didn't want to be recreating another well-known song. But man, was he wrong. It really turned into its own thing. Whether we like it or not, it I still haven't found what I'm looking for does sound like its own song. It doesn't sound like it's trying to copy anything.
0: Yeah, and looks happy enough with a card in his hat walking around uh, you know, the streets while they're all lit up.
1: He looks like he got dressed in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Um, it's nice to see he didn't l- let success go to his clothes.
0: The only other thing I wanted to say about this song is, although, I'm, as I said, I'm not the biggest gospel fan, I like the fact that this is a song as much about doubt as it is about faith. And what I like is that you two by this point and i think this was happening far earlier than this particular song but they were starting to get a bit more complexity into the kind of faith they were exploring where they could actually you know they could still be christian they could still be religious but they were able to question certain forms of organized religion we'll come back to that throughout this album and they were also able to to doubt you know he still hasn't found what he's looking for this song is used often in a gospel setting, I think it's great there, I think it works there, but there are two sides to this song, and they are you cannot take them apart, doubt and faith conjoined. Yeah, I think that's an interesting
1: idea, you know, even though you two appear to be on top of the world at this point, there is still that doubt and um, the feeling of untreaded water uh, for, for you two.
0: Untreaded? Untrod? <laughs> Untrodden? <laughs> Who knows? Track three
1: on Joshua Tree, With or Without You, what can you say about this song that hasn't already been said? What can you sing about this song that hasn't already been sang on karaoke every mm. Friday and Saturday night? Um, it's one of the absolute classics. It's, it has to be in any anyone's top five, I would say. Interesting to note that m- most of the band apart from Bono and the friend Gavin Friday they'd all given up on this but Bono and Gavin Friday sat there trying to figure it out and Gavin Friday actually rearranged it for Bono hmm. and said it'll work this way and then it became "Wither Without You it's not a song where Adam or The Edge particularly get to show off
0: what are it, you talking about? It's, no it's
1: quite a standard song
0: it's, it, for Adam it is well, I, I I think
1: the Edge is, you know, doing some lovely harmonics, but I don't think there's anything extraordinary. There's nothing pushing his skill set.
0: Okay, well, what I would say, though, is, as, you know, I'm the Edge enthusiast. I don't know if you're still the Adam apologist or not.
1: I'm the Adam apologist, yeah.
0: Okay, well, Adam is by the numbers, and it works here, because you don't want, you know, him slapping his bass around in this song, ruining it. Uh, is that I Either, right? You don't want either. It was only, I mean, the way I heard about this song, I'm sure Gavin Friday had a good influence in it. Edge got sent uh, an infinite guitar gadget. I've not used one, so I, you know, I can't really speak much about it. But it allowed him to sustain those single notes, those haunting kind of single notes, which makes the guitar more of an instrument like a synthesizer or a keyboard than it does a traditional guitar. And for me, this is its Edge's willingness to kind of experiment with what a guitar can do Edge said at the time that this was still a prototype and one wrongly placed wire and you'd get a nasty belt of electricity, the piece of gear would have failed even the most basic of safety regulations. I think it's good that Edge is pushing out there to to use new sounds. So I think Edge really shines on here. The band, in my opinion, basically
1: become a backing band. It's a very tight song. There's not a lot of chance to show off or to experiment. It's a very tight, basic song structure yeah so and and that and that really works sometimes it's nice to have that bit of control
0: i totally agree with that that this is bono and you could imagine a, a similar band coming out with something and it is you know bono and the u2s because of you know with this song because they are taking a back seat but
1: there, there is a reason it gets sung on karaoke as often as it does oh yeah i think anybody that's been to a karaoke bar um ever or a karaoke night ever knows that this song is definitely, definitely going to get sung. And the reason is, it's a singer's song.
0: Mm. And a challenge.
1: Um, well, for some of us, yeah.
0: <laughs> what, what Do you know what grinds my gears about this song, Tyler? Well, Peter it, Griffin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is I used to work at a wedding venue, and this would so frequently be, if not a first dance song, it would be a big, oh, look at the couple, romantic song. But it's not really about... Wedding type love. Presumably on your wedding day, you should be going with your, you know, you should be going with your foot forward. It's going to be good. We're going to try everything. This is all going to work out. Not a song which is
1: the message of this song being like, I, I love you, but it's killing me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. I
0: hate you. You know, when will you leave me? Please don't leave me. That kind of thing. And that's that's why I find it's just slightly baffling. It's a, it it's um it's
1: the Ross and Rachel. Relationship of uh, love songs, I...
0: and and that is what and that and that is a truer portrayal. I think of it's a truer portrayal, in my view, of what love is, rather than you know a schmaltzy kind of you know simple romantic song. This is about that that duality and that ambivalence that that exists at the heart of a, of a loving relationship. A question I wanted to ask you was, what do you, how do you take the line, and you give yourself away. Because that's where this, I, the I, emphasis I, is put on the song.
1: I think that's um, you give so much of yourself to somebody else, like you sacrifice so much about yourself. Uh, to you know, I, I think this song is about a, a bad relationship. So some people will take more than they give. I I, I did find myself want not to make this Doctor Phil or anything, mm. but I did once find myself in a relationship where. I just didn't recognise myself anymore, um, and that. So the lyrics for this song remind me of that time. And then when I finally was single and, and gave myself time, to, you know, to get used to that, I started to enjoy all these things that I used to enjoy, and you know, discovered myself again. Mm. Now that might be getting a bit deep, but I, t- I certainly think that's the kind of relationship Bono is singing about here.
0: And I think. This song has endured because it can you can evoke those that depth. I mean, it's such a simple line, and you give yourself away. When I first heard it, I thought it was to do with giving yourself away in a too easily in a sexual way, to giving yourself away too easily in an emotional way, giving yourself to anyone.
1: Well, think of the lyrics that precede it. My body's bruised. Uh, my, my hands are tied. My body's bruised. You got me with nothing to win and nothing to lose. Mm. That you know. That, that person clearly needs abuse. to get out of that relationship. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think we're talking talking about the same kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and a timeless song, again, so difficult to talk about it because it's such a, such a staple.
1: Such a well-known song. I, I didn't think we'd spend as much time talking about this because there's not much to say, but it is interesting to find out what other people, you know, what this song means to other people. I think this has been our song for every <laughs> single relationship of mine. Hmm. Which now I've said that on the internet is probably gonna have to change.
0: <laughs> Track four.
1: But the blue sky.
0: So this song is, or it comes from Bono and Ali's travels in Central America. The fact that El Salvador and Nicaragua were countries being oppressed by American foreign policy. Bono. Although obviously not directly involved in any kind of you know fighting, he was around areas where you would hear gunshots, you would hear bullets being fired. So I'd hope that this song doesn't come across to anyone who's not as familiar with the band as you know kind of armchair punditry. Bono and Ali visited. Who is Bono's wife? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Visited these places. They wanted to. Get relatively close to areas of conflict and to try to actually empathize with the people in those situations. It's one of my favorites on the album. I like it when Edge is pushed towards harder, more distorted areas. Much as I love, say, the very simple solo quote unquote that he does in the previous track, I love it when Edge actually turns things up to 11. And the chorus riffs here, to me, and I'm sure loads of people will disagree with me, remind me they always remind me of uh, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine those kind of bam bam it just reminds me of of that kind of and the political sentiment the the outrage you know the kind of oh, indignation it's it's, that's it's a lot
1: rockier i i, I put that um it, it it reminded me of things like muse
0: that's which, interesting yeah Which
1: yeah. in our review two time machine obviously we're waiting for muse to turn up mm but just that all-out rock track i don't think this is the, the you know one of the top five songs on the album they can't all be hits bono seems too controlled a little bit too rhythmic whereas for the for the the soundtrack that this is this rocky soundtrack he should be allowed to let loose a little more
0: Do you not think he's a little under control in this song? See, the reason I'm going to agree with what you're saying here is because in all the live versions he goes so much more raw and raucous and loud and maybe that's what you have to do with the recording. I think it's a really great recording particularly from Edge and Bono is possibly slightly more subdued here but that means then that the live versions can get more and more powerful so every live version I think has got some interesting variation to it and that's because the song allows them to be to speak to different contexts, don't they? The most recent tour we saw them on uh, obviously had so much more to say about current world events and was saying something different to the version that appears on Popmart, to the version that appears on Zoo TV, to the version that appears on Rattle & Hum. This song continues to be relevant and that's why it's good that say when he talks about the man with a red face you know, all the colours of a royal force, that's meant to be Ronald Reagan but it doesn't have to be, it's about an attitude and about a, an arrogance, and it doesn't even have to be about America necessarily, you know, it's about an arrogant foreign policy, you know yeah.
1: Going back to the song, Edgy's choice of effects range from, I think the creepy, sometimes to <laughs> uh, the ambient, I think he goes to both extremes, and probably everywhere in between Uh, Edge, this is my problem with Bono being controlled Mm. because Edge is all over the place I just think the song would suit Bono you know, shouting a little bit more and hearing a voice crack sometimes that can, you know, really bring a song to, you know, to a great point when you hear the song the the, the voice crack when they're singing Mm. It just so much passion in there Do you mean a bit more like, say, like a song or
0: something like that?
1: Yeah, a little bit like that, yeah Mm.
0: I think it's worth noting that Adam and Larry lock together in this song in such a brilliant way. I think the bass line is possibly underappreciated in this song. But the amount of times I've heard this exact drum beat used, I now just think of it as the Bullet the Blue Sky drum beat. and I'm not saying that, you know, Larry Mullen owns a copyright to this particular rhythm. I'm sure it existed in different variations before, but it does crop up in so many other other tracks. And I think that's that's great. I love I love hearing it. Um, there's an awful cover version um, by Sepultura but if anyone else thinks it's good then feel free to disagree Mm -hmm. Running to Stand Still what do you think about this one Tyler?
1: I want to put a bit of context on this Adam Clayton has referred to this song as Bad Part 2 this is another song about uh, heroin addiction at this time in Dublin there was a heroin um epidemic? Yes. Yeah. And I think w- a band with such strong ties to Dublin, friends of those have, have suffered from heroin addiction and and battled that. And the front man of Finn Lizzie, Phil Linnert, his decline and death due to heroin addiction. Hmm. Um so it was a pretty big issue we weren't there so we can't appreciate it but Bono heard a a real story about a pair of heroin addicts a man and and a woman who lived in um, the Seven Towers, the the Ballymun Towers in, in Dublin and they were out of money, unable to pay rent, unable to feed themselves so the man became a heroin smuggler from Dublin to Amsterdam uh, and basically taking really, really big risks for a big reward and I think this story really got to Bono. Bono felt like the man was actually decent at heart, he was trying to provide for his family and for his girlfriend um, but he was constrained by living conditions and where he lived and, and the addiction as well uh, and the and the addiction um but he 'd always been poor you know this was he can understand he got into this because it was a release and Bono wanted to illustrate how these poor conditions had affected his lives like things he had no control over had really decided what he became. Now maybe you know you can take that's a little too sympathetic towards it but this song came from a great place mm. um, it's certainly one of the songs that i sing the most i find it in my head quite often and that lovely lovely harmonica part is just always fun to whistle it's because i can't play harmonica
0: do you think it's sort of surprising that bono who i mean much as i love him isn't the best on instruments a lot of the time he's a really good harmonica player and he's good live as well it's not just studio trickery or or like a thousand takes and he did and he got one right He's excellent on harmonica.
1: I, I think a lot of the breathing techniques with the harmonica are similar to singing. Yeah, um, I have tried to play harmonica, and when I actually put my mind to it, it's actually a lot easier than you'd think because you just do it as if you're singing. It's just, it's mm. just well, it's an instrument. You just put it in front of your lips, and it changes the sound. It's basically an effects box, effects uh, box for your for your voice.
0: Okay, what I like about the what I like about the harmonica on this track is that. And this is, I think, where we're going to find the difference between this album, which as I've said is quintessential, it's brilliant. The difference between this album and Rattle and Hum. Now, the harmonica here, as with Edge's kind of slide twangy guitar at the start of this album, it really grounds it in you know the American kind of context. It gives that, you know, almost wild west kind of feel. But it doesn't really overpower it. At this stage, I think. They're taking a good amount of influence, but then they're blending it with an interesting song, nice melody, Bono looking back to Ireland whilst using, you know, these kind of quote unquote Americana type musical tropes.
1: Yeah, I think I think like we've just unless I'd researched this for the podcast, I wouldn't know that it was about heroin addiction. Um it's ambiguity is special, you can you can listen to this and be in a certain mood or have, be going through something in your life, it doesn't have to be as serious as heroin addiction but it can still have an effect and mean something so I think that's where the power of this song lies and that is made only better by the fact that it does have an American country feel to it mm. and that folksy kind of it fits into that folksy genre so yeah, I think that's why this song works because it's not just about one particular thing.
0: Red Hill Mining Town. I want to begin with a question, Tyler. For me? For you. Cool. Have you ever seen the music video to this song? I have not. Okay. Don't. I didn't think there was one, so... Well, this is the thing. It's not very widely publicised because it is by far and away the worst YouTube music video.
1: But what you've done here is a kind of forbidden fruit
0: scenario, isn't it? Oh, because we're talking about music see, rather than the actual uh, I w- audio. I wouldn't have seen the video because I didn't know there was a video, but now that you've told me a video and not to watch it... Oh, I see. I am the snake in the garden of the Joshua Tree.
1: Yeah, you're the reason we're going to have to wear
0: clothes for the next podcast. Two millennia. <laughs> okay, well I'm bringing it up because And please go over to YouTube and look at this. I won't bang on about it for very long because we're talking about the audio here, talking about the album. Larry is standing there doing some nondescript drumming on a steel pole. Bono walks up dressed like a miner, as in a miner that works down a mine, and is sort of around loads of steelworks and sparks. He looks like an idiot. And then at the climax, and this is the best bit, Adam with a completely straight face very enthusiastic opens his hands and some birds fly out of his hands towards the camera it's tripe <laughs> but go and watch it it's it's, a, it's awful video I but pre- a great song i
1: preferred the thought of bono dressed as a miner or just like and in, hitching a ride in a
0: pram in children's clothing <laughs> that's a disturbing image okay so red hill mining town what do you think about this song tyler
1: um i it's a good song, kind of overshadowed by pretty much everything that precedes it, particularly "Running to Stand Still," which is one of my, you know, one of my really favorite songs. This song came out of an interview with Bob Dylan, who was playing at Slane Castle in 1984. Uh, Bono interviewed him for the Hot Press magazine. You remember when you two won nine Hot Press Awards?
0: Yeah, the coveted Panini Prize. Yep.
1: Same joke. Um, Bono interviewed them for Hot Press. It interviewed Bob Dylan for Hot Press. And Dylan invited Bono to sing on stage with him. This meeting confirmed for Bono that he was. Um, He'd come into music a very strange way. He wasn't trained. He wasn't really a, a student of the game. Basically, from as, as soon as they played in Larry's mum's kitchen, they they just went from, you know, from success to success. So meeting and socializing with Bob Dylan kind of showed Bono that he still had a lot to learn about the tra- traditions of singing, the different genres of music. Um, different ways to, to write songs it's interesting that Bono in 1984 when Unforgettable Fire had just come out uh, it's interesting lesson in the musical hierarchy because Bono who's still pretty big at that time is reduced to the job of a journalist when Bob Dylan walks in the room
0: well I think he he was a fan of Dylan wouldn't he I mean he, even then Bob Dylan was a megastar
1: Well, yeah, but but Bono from from that point pretty much dived into the back catalogue of Dylan and really getting to understand, and that's where you get the heart of uh, Joshua Tree and Rattlin' Hump.
0: Well, I think it was because he he had such a, he realised that as a band that began as, you know, kind of a new wave band, a band that would never really be playing blues music or Rootsy, you know, folk music, that kind of thing. He'd missed a lot, and they had to. He felt that he had. They had to catch up very quickly. But like, if you're so good,
1: like, and you're you're a, a Dylan or a Springsteen of the world, you know, one of the the big players in music, it almost doesn't matter what genre you are, because everybody knows your stuff because it's that good.
0: Well, that's why. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I totally agree, and that's why I think that U two's this is kind of looking forward a little bit but you two go too far with this attempt you know it's a well-intentioned attempt to get back into the traditions they've not really been working in but i'm very happy when they when they turn turn it round again
1: okay so here's a question do you think you two would stand out more if they just did what you two did if they stuck to you know one particular sound one particular genre instead of trying to explore these avenues into country uh, and folk music, if they if the Joshua Tree had just been in the same vein as, say, the first three albums, do you think that would have worked for them or not? Or are they a band that needs to experiment?
0: I, I think they, they need to experiment. i have just... The problem is that that experimentation involves success and it involves failure or involves things that don't work quite as well so the successes are very very rich that's why this album is so full of american influences and it sounds great but when it goes wrong they just appear like kind of naive fools really who are who are kind of you know if you've got an older brother and they get into something and then you realise, oh, I've got to be cool. I'll, I'll, I'll really, really get into that thing. I'll know even more than them. But it's still crap. <laughs> well, <laughs> not necessarily. But but then so then you turn up after weeks of research, you know, with the t-shirt and say, hey guys, I'm really into this now. And they're all doing something different, really. And you've 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 missed the fad. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just do it. You 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 just try to go for it too earnestly. Uh, we've not really discussed this song very much though.
1: No, but I think it's interesting to discuss you know, the, the, the stuff around it. It's a good song. It It, it is a good song. The lyric that um, really stood out it always stands out to me is I'm hanging on. You're all that's left to
0: hold on to. Um, it's just a lovely little lyric. I'd not really researched this song before I'd listened to it again for this review. And it's because I'd not done that research that I just thought this is a simple kind of romantic song, but looking back at it it's so obviously rooted in the 80s and it is about however non specifically it's certainly about the miners strike that was going on in the north of england at this time so although it's obviously evoking certain western you know kind of mining motifs that kind of thing bono's actually some singing about something much more close to home in terms of you know uk island that kind of thing so bono's singing about you know the emotional costs of the miners strike and this works so much Better than him, in my opinion, than him doing a really specific protest song because he's focusing actually on the relationship and the fact that this is made difficult. And this is where the actual, you know, the hurt really hits at home when you come back from protesting all day and relationships with the ones you love are being pulled completely, you know, to breaking point.
1: Yeah, well, if Ali was annoyed at him, I'm sure he could just write a song and get away with it scot free. As he as he normally does. Okay, the next track, in God's country. I like the song. It's upbeat. You can. I think this is a song that was made to be played live. Uh, you can really hear that even on the on the studio recording. it's really just really good a good track, but the band don't like this.
0: I don't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. What, have you heard in interviews that they don't like this song?
1: Um, just just uh, things I read on um, uh, online. They basically put this track here because they felt they needed an upbeat track mm. there. Um, but it wasn't one of the, the favourite things. They, um, I think Bono bla- uh, blames The Edge because he wanted The Edge to do a very rock and roll kind of guitar riff and was saying to The Edge... Um, I bet I can do a better rock and roll guitar riff than you can, and you're trying to, you know, get get the edge to perform through, you know, baiting him. Well,
0: but that's not going to work on the level-headed, zen-like, you know, Axeman man that is Edge.
1: There's a quote that I can just about remember where Bono goes: uh, "My lyrics are great, the melody's good, uh, the the music works well, uh, and the guitar is poor thanks
0: to the Edge." That's absolute insanity from my perspective. This is one of my yeah, favorites. This is, this is really, really good. This is one of my favorites on the album because of the Edge. It's got the catchy bassline, definitely. But I'm glad that the Edge hasn't been hasn't forgotten his sound here. If Edge had just gone off into rock, you know, kind of country stuff, and you know, the kind of thing maybe Bono was wanting to do, I would hate that. I love the fact we have a blistering Edge solo full of delay, and I actually start thinking back to you know the early days even back to boy and thinking actually i much prefer that sound than you know
1: i tell you what i don't hear on this track i don't hear brian eno and i think this really works i hear you too i hear them working together as a band i've got a lot of respect for the edge not doing exactly what bono wanted because as we've discussed he isn't the best musician in the world he's a good singer and a brilliant songwriter but maybe The Edge needed to trust his own instinct with this song and the result is absolutely amazing why they don't like it I don't know but it's a great song and I'm so glad it's on the album
0: yeah it would be very unbalanced as an album because much as I love this album it's not full of pacey songs and I tend to like songs when you, I, I like it when you to pick the pace up yeah this this is great. I don't. I can't say anything more about that. The only thing I want to say is, I think we we're again getting this idea of a wry kind of critique of America through the song, which is really subtle and really interesting. The fact that I think that America is almost personified in the song, you know, dressed torn in ribbons and in bows, like a siren, she calls to me. It's almost like America is a person throughout this song that has so much promise but is being messed around with so much and being sold out particularly particularly by certain types of kind of evangelical christian establishments it would seem here but bono's not being too overt about this as well he's saying sad eyes crooked crosses that kind of thing i start to think about you know about the you know the kind of health and wealth gospel that gets preached in various parts that's uh, alluded to on this album, the idea of give it, give me your money and God will love you, the televangelist, evangelist, you know, kind of three thousand dollar smile, taking money from people who, who can't afford to give it away. It's less of the American dream that he's exploring here, and more of an American nightmare, the the
1: the true face of America. You actually get a sense that they did uh, begin to understand and spend a lot of time there and see thing, uh, things for how they truly were. Uh, no was perfect in the world no matter you know no matter where you go and i think they matured when they realized that
0: yeah and i think it's just about taking that shiny finish off america and saying there's so much good here but certain parts of this shine it's rotten and if you look back to the 80s i don't want to just characterize a whole decade you know glibly but, but you, you can, can see, see that greed there. You, you can, can see, see why it seems
1: so exotic to them, the yeah. troubles that uh, the UK and Ireland were having in, um, in the 80s, particularly around this time.
0: And they have continued this exploration of what does America as an idea mean? And they're just adding more and more dimensions to that idea, questioning that myth and holding it up for inspection.
1: Track eight on Joshua Tree, Trip Through Your Wires.
0: Johnny, thoughts? You can go onto YouTube and look up a clip of this being performed in a very early draft version, along with another song. I think it's Womanfish, I'm not sure about that. Bono is very clearly drunk. He's wearing a bandana, he looks a little bit sort of Springsteen-y. And the band looked like they've just come from a bar fight, basically. And it's so interesting to see a song being developed. And that whole drunken swagger really runs through this song. I, and I really like it. I like the fact that it's fun. I mean, this album's been great so far, but it's not been... It's not been a particularly jolly affair, shall we say. It's been heavy-hitting, it's been serious. So the moment that bass line comes in, where Adam swings in, you do feel like, ah, oh, this is actually this can be fun here, you know. It's a very low key track.
1: Only ever listen to it when I'm, when I have the album on. This was supposed to be a requiem for Sweetest Thing, because Sweetest Thing was supposed to be on the album, but then it got relegated to uh, B side.
0: So you mean this should have been a, re- a replacement for Sweetest Thing? No,
1: no. no it was. Uh, if Sweetest Thing had been on this. This would have been the second trip through your wires. Would have been the second part of sweetest thing. Oh right, okay, wow, I can't see that. There would have been two tracks, yeah, but it's one story.
0: Ah, I see. So like a development of it. Okay,
1: cool. Um, so I found that interesting, but the original version of sweetest thing is pretty raw. I can only think they dropped that pretty early in the recording process and then just never... Because the production on this album is really, really high. It's polished. And and really strong. And when you hear some of those B-sides, some of them really work. Like, The Everlasting Love really works. The Untrained Melody really works, but they've still got a raw quality to them. One of the ones that doesn't pay off that well is Sweetest Thing. No, we're not talking about the 1998 version of Sweetest Thing. Yeah, which had which, re-recorded vocals. Yeah, re-recorded everything and just better. The original version of Sweetest Thing was kind of like the original Party Girl. Very very scratchy, very rough. Um, yeah. Just n- nowhere near a, a complete idea for a song.
0: And much as I love Sweetest Thing, and I really do, it does not fit on this album. Uh, no,
1: absolutely not. Um, maybe it could have fit on a rattling hum. Mm. Maybe, maybe, but like, I'm I'm glad they left it um, until Bono sneezed on Ali one day and had to record a song. I forgot for her. her birthday. <laughs> is that what it was? Yeah, I that's quite know. a significant thing if you've been going out that long. Mm. The only other thing I had to say about this song was that this is not a Larry and Adam song at all it's, it's an Adam song no it's all Bono dum, it's bum, all bum, bum, and Edge bum, they, dum, dum,
0: dum, 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 dum. Adam sounds
1: bored I think I've said before that Larry manages to make the ser- drums sound bored and Adam does the same with the bass on this track
0: oh, I love that sound I think this is full on yeehaw come on get your bourbons out and let's have a great time I, I love this song bourbons you said bourbons
1: then, as if they're a pair of shoes
0: Get your bourbon... Yeah, no, multiple bourbons. You know, get your... Whiskies.
1: Well,
0: yeah, various whiskies out and have a have a good knees up in the uh, Western Saloon. Shall we move on? Probably. Oh, last thing. There's a really weird little fairy tale flourish at the end of this song. So, I don't know if you noticed this, because you say you don't listen to it very often, but it always surprises me. You have this quite raucous bar song with its heavy harmonica, and then right at the end you have a... Like a like it's a fairy tale ending. So I'd like just anyone's thoughts on that. Does this work or does it sound terrible? It's so odd. I mean I find it really incongruous. What do you guys think? I haven't
1: noticed, but please let us know in the comments.
0: So this song, One Tree Hill, is full of tragedy because It occurred the recording of it and you know the song's conception comes from the death of Greg Carroll who was working as a courier for the band he borrowed Bono's motorbike got into an accident was killed instantly and so this song obviously like everything on the album has multiple meanings can be about lots of different things I wasn't even aware of this before I did the research but when you listen to it back and realize that it's in tribute to this one guy a lovely guy as far as as far as all the research says you know great guy being killed at such a young age his life being snuffed out it gives it so much more resonance so for example that refrain right at the end it it, it could be seen as you know just a kind of general spiritual song but because it's tied to that one person who everyone loved and got on with so well it brings a sadness into the song but what a song what a tribute what do you think Tyler
1: Um, well I don't think my notes are really appropriate for um... (laughs) you hate
0: the song maybe you're allowed to not like a song it's an experimental
1: song yeah uh, and I like that they're experimenting Um, I just wasn't bowled over by it and if it doesn't hook me in then the less likely I am to research it Uh, I had a a lot of fun researching things like regardless of the uh the subject matter re- researching really to stand still and um even stuff I'm looking for but i just didn't find the time to research Bond Tree
0: hill um, cuz it didn't interest me okay do you don't think the song has this amazing kind of build up i mean by the end of it bono's vocals are i mean that you know you were asking that you wanted to push his vocals like in mm. As as we mentioned in the blue sky, I think he does push them here. So halfway through the song, there's this. Well, sorry, I towards think, the end of the think, song, I it culminates. It's a good melody. You can't really you can't really
1: argue with it, but it just there's some real high points on this album. And whereas this is a good you know a good song, there are great songs on on the album. So it maybe it's just a case of it getting uh, being overshadowed. Maybe if I just sat down and listened to that particular track maybe then i would um Mm. i would change my opinion and be more interested and more inclined to learn more about it
0: i think it's i guess maybe a little bit of a slow burning track because it does sort of have you know this little sort of ticky kind of clicky um guitar riff that Edge has got at the start which i like because it seems to me to suggest that kind of notion of time passing that kind of thing it seems like a song about renewal, and I like the fact that on each of the chorus, each of the choruses Bono is changing it to, you won- you run, it runs, and then we ran. So there's this kind of sense of togetherness, which is in tribute to his friend. And I think I like the end of the song particularly because Edge actually brings the distortion back in, and it gets a little bit more hectic. but. It might be a difficult one to grab you straight away. In the way, you know, the blue sky, with or without you. That's going to get you the first ten seconds, isn't it? Do you think this song could benefit or would benefit from being
1: earlier in the album and put a strong, um, a more instantaneous song uh, in its place? I Maybe would... a running to stand still, because you get a very strong start to the album. Yeah. With streets, so they haven't found uh, whether without you bought the blue sky, then running to stand still. Yeah, it's a very, very good start. Do you think it's w- weighted too much to the beginning of the album?
0: Well, this happens a lot in in u canon, and, and yeah, I would agree that it is. You could spread those out. The problem is, it's it's almost like a game of jenga. As soon as you move one track, it affects the way all the rest of them sort of hang or. You know the balance of the album but yeah it could go earlier i don't think it would have a different effect if it was earlier i actually think it would be a better penultimate track than the next track which is which is exit i think it would work better there so maybe just flip around those for me it's that time of the
1: album where you two normally just put on a a track or two that isn't finished and they just need to add more tracks. This is not the case with Exit, I don't think. I think this is a very, very good song.
0: Um, But Johnny, what are your initial thoughts? In an album this good and this consistent, I think that it is the one that sticks out the most as as least fitting for the album. I think it's the closest point that they get to a misstep on the album, but having said that, it used to be one of my absolute favourites. I like the fact that Edge is being allowed to rip it up a little bit, to use lots of crazy guitar things. It sounds better live, I I think, than it does on this version. Annoyingly, this version, whenever I hear it, I always have to turn up. I don't know if it's just an overall mixing thing or whether they want to draw you into the song and this you know kind of murderous scene by turning it down and making you you know kind of get a bit closer before they you know kind of strike. But I I also kind of think that it's a little bit like. Teenage angsty, you're like, oh, there's a murderer. <laughs> I
1: think it's stylistically supposed to be quiet, but it is too quiet on the mix. It's annoying. That's un undeniable. I, on the on the remaster from 2007, they certainly sorted that out and well, basically just turned it up, which I think is what remastering is. In in my understanding, it's just. It's well, the same song, just a bit louder. Turning up
0: different bits of different songs.
1: Well, um, but this song has a special place in my heart because um, uh, I was in year nine, which is the the uh, third of five years of high school.
0: So basically, how old would you be there? Um,
1: 13, 14. Okay. Um, we had uh, music lessons class music lessons with your form and we had to go away and write a song and I was one of the few people at that point in that class that was into rock music and real instruments as as I would have defined it back then not realising how many of my uh, favourite bands relied on synthesizers um, and other electronical devices to generate the sound that they have Everybody else was into, like, uh, 50 Cent and stuff like that. So when the homework of go and write a song uh, came up, I was quite excited because I was trying to play guitar and uh, I had a couple of friends who could play keyboards and things like that. Uh, But we resolved to steal an unknown song (laughs) from somebody else. Um, So we printed off the chords for Exit and... um, offered it up as our own work and performed it in the in the classroom and straight away paul McGuinness <laughs> <laughs> runs into the classroom
0: and it's like lawsuit
1: no and we completely got away with it um and it, it's just funny but I, it has a very fond place in my heart because of that and I, and because of i did that i the lyrics are really strong i, I think it could have been put on another U two album. It's not. It's not strict. It doesn't strictly have that Joshua Tree sound, um, but it is very Brian Eno with the, the guitars that come in.
0: It has atmosphere.
1: I agree with that. Yeah.
0: I think it's a little bit childish. That's all Well, like, well this. It,
1: the lyrics are are, are strong. I, Pistol I, I, in
0: his pocket, hand on the steel. The, come on. No. The, his
1: hand in his pocket, finger on the steel. The pistol weighed heavy, his heart, it could feel <sighs> a beating, 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 oh my lord, like it, it, it's great. It builds up epically. I, I,
0: I like the rhythm. I like the melody. I just think, like, it just sounds like if you were given that homework assignment at 13, 14, write a song about a murder. That's exactly the kind of song or lyrics you would, not song because it's a great song, but that's the sort of lyrics you would. But a lot do. of songs
1: on this album are about the, those down
0: and out people yeah feel they have no choice, and but in a really mature way, like running to standstill is a mature reflection, an empathetic reflection on heroin and on addiction in general. It's I think this song could be easily just as easily about suicide as it is about a murder. Oh, yeah, no, I agree that with that as well. i
1: just I think a it's, curious subject, I think we can all agree.
0: I just think it's it's like right it could be better, that's all. you know, it's a strong seven out of 10. The lyrics could just be a bit more polished.
1: It, yeah, th- that's not that's not bad at all. I, I I I
0: generally agree with that rating. Mothers of the disappeared. Tyler, what do you feel about this song?
1: Whereas you two are sometimes prone to put a bit of a stinker on the last track, um, or towards the back of the album. This was lovely. The The melody's just so sweet and subtle and it's a, it's a song I forget about and I, I don't know why my brain can't remember such good songs like this. It's a gentle track, there is no loss of quality whatsoever. Uh, I, I think, for me, every song on this album has a high quality of production and writing and a general unity of the band. Um, so I think this is a great way to end we've seen U2 end on some pretty bad tracks in the last couple of albums so this is a breath of fresh air that the quality you don't have to fear the, the last track of a U2 song they, they, they're they practicing and they're getting it right and they really get it right on, the, on this album
0: I mean you're referring to presumably Shadows and Tall Trees and is that all rather than 40 and MLK though those are the kindest of thinkers that they've done. In yeah, the past. I'm
1: on about the last two tracks mainly, you know, not necessarily oh, like I see. the last not the very last final track.
0: One. Yeah, but but yeah, um,
1: this may be the strongest uh, end to an album that
0: they've had. Well, I think what you were saying there about the polish of this, you know, and the quality. I've heard it reported that it's been said that you know by by people at the time that this is down to Danny Lanoir playing the studio like an instrument. So obviously. You have incredible contributions. You have that lovely Spanish guitar playing by Ed. That motif. It's, but it's the bringing together of all those things into this incredible sound. And the song doesn't begin for a long time, but I, I even love the tension being ratcheted up, ratcheted up at the start of this out of this song. The fact that you can hear this kind of tense atmosphere before it breaks into that sweet kind of guitar, and I think sweet is a word for that. It, it's beautiful. This song. And it's the kind of rare quiet song that almost feels sort of folky that I think they try and stretch to these days sometimes with something like White as Snow where they, they don't quite get it right. Certainly not as good as this. The context of the song, um, I'm not going to go into an exhaustive description, but it is about people who have been, quote unquote, disappeared by, by um Argentinian and Chilean dictators and the mothers are people who were told essentially not your son or daughter is dead not that they are in prison but they have been disappeared and that the horror of of not even having a proper answer about what's happened you know this fate being thrust upon you not knowing what has happened to your child and I think that's where you know you get lines like you know you hear the tears we hear things like night night hangs like a prisoner stretched over black and blue these are really well developed complex lyrics where bono is alluding to abuse alluding to imprisonment and being subtle and it works so well
1: yeah they don't like um they don't make it a dreary listen like obviously if you you focus in on the context mm. then it's quite you know quite a, a strong message the but as a track There's a piece of music. It's really, really strong and really good. What a great way to finish. What has been a great, great album. So Johnny, the time has come once again to ask that question. Is this an album or is this a flipping album? (laughs)
0: People who are listening for the first time will have no idea what we're talking about by this point. Well, they'll have to go back and listen. That's true. Do you think this is a a flipping album? Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty much undeniable. It's a
1: real strong show. There's very few bands have done an album this strong
0: and this coherent as well. Yeah,
1: it. Th- it's it's amazing to think the steps that they took from. Unforgettable fire to this. There's such a learning curve to mm. get to this point, and they absolutely nail this.
0: It's like the walls have completely fallen away now. They are huge. They are, you know, I mean, literally, they they start playing t- in much bigger environments now. The studio spaces that they're going into are bigger. You know, they have they have their own unique sounds, and obviously, that's because they're able to afford bigger places. Of you know, I can't fault Boy for being recorded in a small studio, and it sounds great. But this is the maturity. this is the band arriving. What I wanted to ask is, I feel a bit stupid after this album review after going through the process of researching this because I managed to listen to this album with a vague sense of political involvement throughout my kind of you know teens, twenties, that kind of thing. but I've only properly become aware of all the different you know kind of political events that were going on behind the scenes now, my question is. Does that make much of a difference? Do you have to know about all the kind of context to enjoy this album? Or, or not?
1: You can certainly listen to it passively as a, as a, um, a piece of music. Uh, you can listen to songs in different languages. But I suppose when you do know the context, it's kind of like you're remastering it yourself because mm. the context can act as another instrument. Uh, it can change your emotion the same way uh, a guitar can or a lyric can so yeah i think the context can really add something but it's nice to go in kind of clean and not knowing mm. any of that cuz sometimes you can get too involved and i imagine it's a bit of a turn off for some people as well yeah like, oh i like that but then i realised what it was about and i, I don't want to listen to it anymore cuz it upsets me you know it can i don't think there's any examples of that kind of stuff um but you
0: don't want in that remastering process i guess for your original thoughts feelings all the things that are sparked in you the first few times you listen to it on your own without the you know the wider context you don't want that to be overwritten i suppose by by other other kind of contexts so i think it's it's really interesting to to think does this just add more complexity and that's fine or does it then? I change think it the adds more process? understanding, and yeah.
1: that's it, you know it's it's sometimes nice. To know, particularly as into you U2 as we are, and I imagine the people listening to this podcast would be. I think probably the, even more so. Yeah, we we would. Uh, people like us would relish the opportunity to know as much as we possibly can about the recording,
0: mm.
1: uh, and the influences, uh, and the just how the ideas progressed, and also the ideas that they left behind.
0: Mm. you know you know those plenty those, left behind on this album
1: those stuff that the the, the the songs that they never did anything with imagine how many there must be twice as many I, I you know half ideas as complete ideas
0: well literally in this case because we have almost a full album of other songs bono envisioned this as a huge double album i think called the two americas that would be a great subject to come back to on another podcast another episode because, yeah, we have all those kind of ideas. But then there's probably even more ideas that never even got to the studio. It's time once again for everybody's favourite feature.
1: Oh, sweetest thing.
0: I'm not happy with the way this uh, feature is progressing. It seems like every week you're going more and more strange with that, that introduction. Um i am just going to handle it, apparently. Yep. Okay. So what is your sweetest thing this week, Johnny? On this listen, my sweetest thing, somewhat surprisingly, was Mothers of the Disappeared. It was the track that I found most interesting on this listen, possibly because I've just listened to those first, particularly the first five songs, so much. You've heard them all the time. I mean, it's very difficult to listen to Wither or Without You, or even Streets, with new with new ears, but I just loved the different textures that were in that, that I heard this time. So on this listen, my sweetest thing was, mothers of the disappeared. How about you?
1: My sweetest thing this week is no real surprise uh, to me, running to stand still. It's pretty much always in my head, so I have to give it to that one. Okay, Johnny, it's time for everybody's
0: dirty day my dirty day and it's very difficult for this album because it's so consistent but as the track that is the least best i would have to say exit i just i don't particularly it doesn't land with me as much as the other songs although the red hill mining town video almost changed my mind how about you for me
1: mine is one tree hill uh it's Not that it's a bad song, it just didn't resonate particularly well with me. Um, So, uh,
0: One Tree Hill has to take it. But of course, we'd like to hear your opinions. What's your sweetest thing on the Joshua Tree? What's your dirty day? In an album this good, is it going to be difficult to find the one track that you just think isn't as strong as the other ones? So, all that is left to do now is thank you all for listening
1: Please continue to like us on Facebook, uh, like us on SoundCloud, follow us anywhere you can, show your comments and your thoughts with us, uh, and we'll respond any way we can. For now, thank you very much, and we'll see you next week where we'll have a special guest for Rattle and Hum. See you then. thanks for listening to the show if you'd like to get in touch please contact us at review2contact at gmail.com that's r-e-v-u-2
0: contact at gmail.com